Welcome to Know Yourself. Uh, in this episode, I interview uh, Sarah Collaby from Times Change uh, in front of an audience in Redditch. Um, this episode is particularly good because we get to hear a little bit about Sarah's story. We get to do a bit of Q&A with the audience. It's just so, so different. And, um, yeah, I was just felt really privileged to be there in front of all those people. And, yeah, I appreciate it you taking the time to listen to the podcast as well so thank you enjoy the episode good afternoon welcome to know yourself podcast this is dan udell and i'm here with sarah collaby from time to change we're at redditch town hall today and we've actually got an audience in front of us so it's a real pleasure to be here dan burton who's been on the podcast before is also here as well audience do you want to say hello Hello. <laughs> Thanks for all being here. It means a lot. And thank you as well for inviting me to this really great event. Really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. So audience, uh, just so you've got a little bit of context for myself. Um, I, uh, at the age of 16, I was assaulted. And as a result, I ended up with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so I sort of, between the age of 16 and 20, I very much struggled to go outside. I uh, found it really tough getting on trains, um, planes and automobiles. Um, just anywhere where there was a lot of people in a public space was really stressful for me. Um, went into a real sort of depressive state. And um, I started my first sort of real life job in the corporate world. And uh, I found myself, you know, wanting to take my own life. And I was really lucky that my dad really paid close attention to me. And um, he eventually pulled me to one side and had a really difficult conversation with me and said, you know, I think there's something wrong. We need to, like, you know, address this. Um, he said, I think you should go see a therapist. And, you know, my reaction was very much like, get lost, in a way. Um, after that, I kind of had a really hard day at work, and I was really, like, flipping a coin on whether to go home and do something really bad or whether to do something about it. And I went outside uh, that day, and I called a therapist, and I've been going to therapy for five years. I'm now training to become a therapist myself. And I started this podcast in February this year to help people um, like myself who uh, didn't know anything about the mental health world. I didn't even know mental illnesses were a thing unless you're in an asylum. Um, I just thought that I was the only person in the world struggling with this until I went to therapy. So it's yeah, it's that's what I'm passionate about, sharing the knowledge, making sure that people like never felt like feel the way that I used to feel basically so now it's about you Sarah so we're going to talk a little bit about you so when I interview people and this is going to be fun for Dan because he's actually been through this sort of questioning um, I usually ask what's your if you were going to write your own book um, what would your chapter one look like you know what's your first comic book look like of Sarah the superhero story you know <laughs> if, if we were going to search through your origin story what would that look like well I suppose if, if my superhero story would probably be all about be, being somebody who wasn't actually what they appeared to be um, I think uh, a lot of people throughout a lot long time of my life actually saw me as somebody who was very capable uh, was very confident um, had, had achieved certain things, but actually um, I had a lot of experience with mental health problems actually from being quite a young child. Um, and I think a lot of the reason why I appeared to be this person who was 
we've got it all together on the surface was a lot to do with the stigma around mental health um, that was very prevalent in society but also within my family. Um, so I'm here as a, as a time to change champion really um, and that means somebody who has had lived experience of mental health problems but is also willing to um, have conversations about that. Um, the idea being is that's going to help people, um, uh, that's going to challenge the stigma and en enable people to feel not like I felt for many, many years. <laughs> mm. yeah. When did you start working with Time to Change? Um, I became a Time to Change champion, I must have signed up about five or six years ago, um, uh, because you can sign up online, there's a national website. But I became much more actively involved earlier this year, um, because Amanda, who um, I've done some work with before, contacted me and asked me if I would like to be involved in the Time to Change Worcestershire campaign, mm. um, because earlier this year, um, Time to Change got some funding, and we actually have a hub in Worcestershire that's funded until August next year. So I've been kind of, so I'm sort of working on it, but I'm also a volunteer for it as well. Yeah, mm, interesting. And you know, going back a little bit to like childhood, mm. you're talking about mental health problems. How did that manif like manifest itself in your life? And what was that like experiencing that for you? I, I was a very anxious child and I had a lot of distress. I, I cried a lot. Um, and unfortunately, um, it, it was interpreted by my family as, at the time as being quite difficult. Um, so, um, you know, I would be seen as being a, a difficult child rather than a distressed child. And part of that, I think, was to do with my own father's experience of my, his mother had had mental health problems. Um, I never knew her. She died before I, I was born. Um, but my father, I think, was profoundly affected by that mm. and um, really had, a, had a, an, an issue about acknowledging that I might have a problem with anything. Um, I think as well, because I continued to do well at school, which was part of the anxiety, because often anxious kids will try really, really hard to you know, be as perfect as possibly can. Because I didn't sort of start having problems at school, it wasn't picked up at school. Even though I would cry, um, it would be kind of you know, explained away in a way that I don't think, I hope, doesn't happen these days. I think, I mean, I'm in my 50s, so I'm hoping that, you know, kids growing up these days, there's a bit more awareness, particularly in schools, mm. but there wasn't then, so. So on the surface, everything looked fine. Yeah. But beneath that, it's kind of like an iceberg in a way, mm. where we see, like, the top, like, the top very little bit, and then beneath it, um, there's, I think with uh, Freud, actually, there's, like, a bit of a diagram that explains, like, the ego the id and the super ego and it kind of explains it almost like an iceberg and the subconscious is like that big bit i think it's safe to say like without going into like all of that just ourselves there's a great deal of us that sits below the water and it sounds like it wasn't spotted because in school you're working towards a framework and you're achieving you look like you're doing well but emotionally there's something else going on i think i felt a lot of shame i think i felt ashamed of of you know being this person that wasn't coping very well and so I became very good at masking that covering that um, mm. and uh, you know appearing to be something that I wasn't and and it kind of worked for a while but unfortunately like a lot of these things eventually it kind of all the, the facade sort of came crashing down it's interesting you say that I always felt like an actor in my own life like yeah. that, that period between the age of like 16 and 20 
I felt like I was in my own like show and uh, when I went outside it was very much you know I was a different version of me than when uh, the door closed the front door closed and I kind of like collapse on the floor <laughs> well funnily enough i actually do amateur dramatics and uh so i'm I've, i'm quite skilled at acting and i think <laughs> i've been doing it a long time <laughs> yeah it's and, interesting yeah and i think one of the things about time to change um when when time to change first started which i think was about 10 years ago and i can remember becoming aware of it i did a mental health first aid course mm. and all of a sudden it just kind of gave me permission to start talking about it um and it was actually quite a it was quite liberating, actually. I think it was part of my journey of accepting myself for who I was rather than trying to pretend that actually everything was okay because I didn't think I was acceptable if mm. I didn't do that. That's some of it, right? Like the actual um, acceptance of self. And mm. that acceptance is difficult because it means um, acknowledging and then accepting the insecurities or what we might call the bad bits of ourselves, mm. you know, it's like kind of bringing those in as well as the good bits because you can't just take the good bits of yourself and go well that's me um you have to go well actually the the bad stuff is me as well i'm not even sure that i'd label it good and bad stuff mm. i think um i mean that's from the perspective of now you know they're all parts of me and in some ways i think some of the difficulties i've had have actually helped to inform some of the work that I've done. Mm. Um, I think I have an empathy with people that I may not have had had I continued to sort of, you know, be a high flyer academically. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I don't see it as a bad thing. I see it as something as part of me that I, I need to look after. Yeah. Um, it's that vulnerable, fragile part, but it's not. It's not bad. Mm. Yeah you almost uh, learn to take care of that part and go yeah. like, it's all right, like I know, like, you know, things aren't great, but you kind of begin to look after yourself almost. Yeah. Compassion, kindness. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I, in recent years, I've, I've I trained as a mindfulness teacher. Um, and I think, again, mm. that, that te we're not very good at, at treating ourselves compassionately. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's a real skill. And if we can perfect that skill, it has an, a tremendously beneficial impact on how we look after ourselves. Yeah, it's really interesting. I was talking to Dan actually, and he said, "How's the podcast going?" And I, uh, I actually said, "Well, I've just taken a, a couple of weeks off actually, because I've got a bit of a tendency to burn myself out by like going mm. all at, like you know, full power at something. You know, I have got like a full-time job, like nine to five. I've actually got a second job as well. <laughs> but like, <laughs> so I tend to like run at things like a hundred percent. And um, I said to him, I had to take uh, two weeks out because you know I don't want to." Before, it would have got to the point where I burnt out and then it's like you really have to scale back and go like, okay, let's stop everything. But this time I was like, well, I'm going to look after myself. I love doing the podcast, but I love myself more, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. And it feels really weird to say that. It feels weird to say that you love yourself because people are like, well, surely that's selfish. But like, how can you begin to love other people and uh, treat them um, and look after them? until you actually love yourself first and I think that's a misconception sort of a lot of people make I used to make it I used to think well surely coming to counseling um, and doing these sessions is like me being selfish because I'm just sat here talking about myself whereas there's all these people in my life going through all these different things but actually you can't pour from that cup you know you might have heard this before you can't pour from that cup if it's empty and what that means is 
You can't do it if you've, <laughs> you can't help other people if you've got no emotional energy left to help them with because you've not been helping yourself by, you know, looking after yourself, um, exercising, eating right. It might just be having a night in watching Netflix, mm. you know. It can be as simple as that. Exactly, and we need to change that culture that says it's selfish to take care of yourself. And, and I know that you know that's that's the long journey I've been on. And um, when you were talking about burnout, that that really struck a chord with me because I had a very serious burnout at the end of 2005, um, and uh, I, I was very very poorly for quite a long time. Oh. And that was partly because I just felt that I had to keep going. Um, and that if I didn't keep going, I was letting the side down, and I was letting my work colleagues down, and I was letting my family down. Um, and uh, ultimately, I, I, I crashed and burnt um, so badly that I was actually useless to them for about a year anyway. So in some ways, it's actually it's it, it's better to kind of take that time out, which I do now. I know that there are times when actually I just need to take some time out. Um, and, and just you know, prioritise myself. And because of that, I get better much more quickly. Mm. Um, so it's it's not really selfish. It's actually good self-management in the long run. Yeah. yeah, it's valuing yourself first, which is, like, that's the really weird thing. You know, having a high opinion of yourself uh, is seen as arrogant. Um, and it's it's interesting. It almost needs to be balanced with something else. And for me, that's like the humility and like keeping the perspective that, you know, other people are just as important, but you are just as important as well. It's maintaining that really healthy balance and like kind of almost cleverly auditing it in your mind. And what does that mean in English? That's like just being self-aware for me. So like I do that by writing journals. Um, you know, some I know Dan, Dan over there, he gets a lot out of writing his poetry. For him, mm. he actually becomes very self-aware from writing his poetry because for him, it comes from like a very emotional place. Mm. Some people just like um, talking to themselves in the car. I know I, I actually do that a little bit. Mm. Um, you know, other people uh, like to go for coffee with a friend. Whatever it is, I think um, self-awareness is an important part of that discussion. Mm. Yeah. Interestingly, but um, earlier in the session today, we, we had a little session about um, mental health first aid kit, about oh. what kind of things, either you know concrete things or perhaps you know a concept of something. What what kind of things do you need to to look after yourself? Um, and we've actually had some great ideas. People have put up all sorts of ideas on the board, including you know walking with a dog in the um, in the park and um, you know spending time with friends, you know having a cuddle. Um, and, and these are all things that, you know, they, they sound really simple, and they are really simple, but they are also very, very important um, in terms of looking after ourselves and, you know, not putting everybody else first to such an extent that you'll, you suffer. Mm. I like that. Like, walking a dog's, like, enjoyable because you get to, like, get out and see <laughs> the world. It's a little bit of people watching sometimes as well. And being outside with the, like, fresh air is always nice. Mm. But... It's. I think you said something about mindfulness earlier, mm. and I think it's really important about that. Like, you know, anxieties um, in my head is a fear of what might happen in the future. You know, we think that we've got a crystal ball and we can predict what's going to happen, and that prediction is concrete. It's definitely going to happen. Mm. Um, you know, I think uh, there's other. Um, you know, for example, with depression, sometimes I feel like that's looking backwards into the past. 
and maybe uh, mulling over something that's uh, happened or sitting with something, a certain emotion. Mm. Um, and th- I think there's a lot to be said for mindfulness because it actually uh, sort of detracts away from the past and the future and actually just goes, what's happening now? Like, what am I doing now that's important? It teaches you to accept what's going on and, and not kind of react to it and get into this chain of events like I mean I know this time of year I mean I have seasonal affective disorder so this Um. time of year I know is 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 can be difficult for me and I know I wake up in the morning and I feel like I feel like this low um but I also know but the mindfulness part of me will say well okay this is just where you're at you know that once you've had a cup of tea once you've had some breakfast once you've put your sad light on you know, just take it slowly. You know that you'll be okay. By the time it's time to go to work, you'll be all right. And if you're not, then that's okay too, because you can just go to work and just sort of say to people, actually, I'm feeling a bit fragile today. Mm. Um, and, and that is such a, a change from this kind of previous way in which I do, in, in, which would just be a panic. It's like, oh my God, I can't cope. I can't possibly get up today. I can't go to work. Um, you know, and it's just something as simple like that becomes a way of facilitating you to get on with your life. It's very practical. Yeah. Very pragmatic. Um, you actually said something as well about, uh, which I really, really liked and I want to pick up on so I don't want to miss it. You actually said how your experience is now giving you the tools to be able to be a good time to change champion. Mm. You know, you've got empathy. You, I know that you're a great listener because I've t- like spoken to you before. Um, you know, you've it's interesting how the adversities that we have in our life, we can walk from them, like we can walk away with something. We often feel like it's taken or stolen something from us, but we can actually walk away with more than we had in the first place. I think that's an interesting part to talk about as well. Mm. Mm. So we're coming up to like nearly uh, like 20 minutes now. And what I want you to think about audience is you know, is there anything while Sarah's here and whilst I'm here that you want to ask us about? Um, a question that's really been on your mind. It might be about yourself, a loved one, a friend, um, a work colleague. You know, whatever you want to ask us. You know, kind of now's the the time, I guess. Um, we've got like sort of 10 minutes of this segment, kind of like a Q&A, and yeah, really want to hear your questions. Has anyone got anything? Dan. <laughs> Um, you guys both are amazing at uh, what you do. I just want to say that straight away, now I've been with the podcast already, and you should really have listened to it thoroughly. You work incredibly hard. Um, my question is how both of you do you recover from burnout? Because I had it three times, nearly, and all three times have been horrendous to deal with. So how do you recover from that? So how do we recover from burnout? Do you want to go first? Um, Yes, I mean, I've, I suppose my experience of recovering from burnout was actually acknowledging that it had a very real physical effect on me. I became physically very unwell. I became um, um, intolerant to all sorts of foods for quite a long time. I mean, I'd lit, my system had literally burnt out. It's also about recognising something um, uh, which is the concept called the stress container. Uh, and uh, if you can imagine kind of like a bucket or a biscuit tin, um, it basically represents our, our ability to deal with stress. And some of us have quite a big container um, for all sorts of reasons. Genetically, we're just that born that way, and maybe we've just had the sort of life that 
we've been able to kind of, you know, keep a nice big container. Other, others of us um, have a much smaller one. And I know since my very bad burnout, sort of 14, 13, 14 years ago, um, my stress container is, is quite small. And so it's about being aware of that and, and recognising that basically what comes in has got to be let out in some way. So I can take stress as long as I've got plenty of stress management techniques. So that will include you know, mindfulness, walking the dog, eating well, sleeping well, making sure I tell people when I'm not okay so that they know an early stage and that helps me get over it. So it's literally, it's, it's almost like a sort of scales you know, it's about, and, and actually not feeling ashamed of that, because I don't feel ashamed of it. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a survivor. Uh, I mean, 13 years ago, I was within inches of throwing myself under a train. Um, so actually, every day is a bonus. <laughs> you know, I've, I've carried on. I've lived to see my grandchildren born. Um, you know, I've lived to have a very happy second marriage. Um, all of those things are, are a bonus, but it's about recognising the reality you don't go through something like that and not be changed by it. I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's really good. I think the things that you said about the stress container, that's that's a really interesting way of looking at that. Mm. Um, I'd not even thought of that, like looking at it that way before. For me, burnout, um, it's a really interesting one because it's, um, I always used to imagine burnout when people used to say it as like, like bam it's there like it just happens it's actually more subtle than that it creeps up on you over time you know for me a lot of it is about again uh, self-awareness like I love playing badminton Dan actually loves playing badminton as well <laughs> you know I love uh, doing the podcast um, I love uh, seeing my family seeing my friends um, I love sitting and watching Netflix you know there's there's certain pockets of uh, time that we allocate out for ourselves and for other people and I noticed over time that those pockets were going away and that I was sinking more and more time into my work I was doing like you know 40 50 hour weeks at work and then like uh, I was plowing like I think one week I did like 30 hours on the podcast and like mm -hmm. I was like right <laughs> something's got to change so it's that awareness of you know are you uh, looking after yourself? It's kind of having that checklist in your head, you know. Am I doing the things that I love doing? Um, am I seeing friends and family? Um, what am I doing to relax when I'm not doing the thing that I love? That was the particular problem for me because I actually kind of get an energy boost out of doing the thing that I love. It was kind of even more subtle because I was like, well, actually, I'm still feeling good from doing it, but I didn't realise it was the thing that was stressing me out. So it's important to recognise, are you irritable? Are you impatient? You know, I, I flipped out one day because, like, I was trying to wind my window down in my car and it got stuck. And I was like, I just shouted at my car for no reason. I was like, okay, I need to, like, look at that. So that would be my advice. Can I just mention as well a couple of um, uh, yeah. projects, websites, whatever, for, for people, if you, people haven't come across them. Um, there's a couple of things. There's the five ways to well-being. Um, which is a bit like, you know, eating five fruit and veg a day. It's five things we can all do to um, keep ourselves mentally healthy. There's Great. also something called the Action for Happiness campaign, um, and they've got a really good website with lots and lots of resources and lots of tips about 
how to look after yourself and, and basically lead, lead a happier life. Um, so, you know, just, just to let people know if they haven't come across those before, they, they can really be quite helpful in kind of thinking, well, actually, what, what is going to help me get Five ways to wellness. Five ways to well-being and, oh, well -being. The, action, and the Action for Happiness campaign. They're, and they're both um, underpinned by research. You know, they're evidence-based campaigns um, that, that actually do really work and, and help people stay well. Yeah. Mm. Hopefully that answers your question. <coughs> Any other questions out on the floor? Yeah? Hi, I'm Christine from Richard Cavendish and I'm a mental health outreach worker. Um, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, earlier on in the conversation, you mentioned that um, your father spoke to you about things that he'd noticed about your behaviour. That's right. Would you say that having that initial conversation, even though you didn't act on it straight away, was maybe the trigger to get you to think about yourself and that actually things might not be quite going according to plan? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. Uh, for people at home, uh, Chris, Christine was asking if the conversation with my dad was a really interesting, although I didn't act on it straight away, whether that was a, you know, a point of uh, which I started looking at myself and my behaviours. So. Definitely. Uh, if I, I actually talk to my dad every now and then, like I actually talk to him every week, but like every now and then we both get really teary because I say to him, if you hadn't had that conversation with me, I wouldn't be here like now. Uh, yeah, it's like that basically. Um, it definitely made me look at myself. Um, it made me think if dad's seeing it, he actually sees what's actually going on. And it kind of made me accept it and made it like very real. Yeah. One of the things about the Time to Change campaign is encouraging people to have those conversations about mental health and also um, uh, asking twice. You know, we, we tend to sort of say, how are you? And, and we're all conditioned to say, oh, I'm fine. Um, but actually, sometimes if somebody asks you again and says, no, how are you? Mm. That actually could make all the difference to somebody. So, you know, it, 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 sounds, it sounds too simple to be true, but actually having these conversations can literally be, you know, a lifesaver. Yeah, it literally can. Like, <clears throat> he always used to ask me, how are you? And I'd give the sort of automated response. And then dad would say, but how are you in yourself? And I think that's a really important uh, thing that I think Sarah was just trying to, like, talk about as well. Like, he just really took the time to make sure that I wasn't just like bullshitting him basically mm. and I'm glad that he did that <laughs> so we'll be here in front of you lovely people <laughs> so yeah hopefully that answers your question <clears throat> any other questions I could relate to Sarah family not acknowledging the problem mm. um, how, how did you manage to get help well it, it took a long time um, I mean I actually I went to university and actually dropped out after first term because by that time I had quite serious eating disorder um, but because it was um, bulimia my weight was normal but I had quite serious eating disorder um, so it was kind of you know events were taken out of my hands I became I became unwell and little by little my dad to his credit he's, he's no longer with us but over the years he he did sort of take it upon himself to find out more about what I was going through um, having always been one of these people of, well, you know, oh, it's all in your mind and, you know, just pull yourself together. Um, very very old school, my dad. Um, he, he did, as a result of, you know, my experiences in my, my 20s, 
um, kind of change his, his um, behaviour. It wasn't until many years after all this happened that I discovered that my grandmother had, had, had serious mental health problems. Nobody had ever talked about it. Wow. And in some ways, it was actually kind of, actually, that makes sense. You know, actually, I don't feel quite so much of a freak knowing that, you know, I'm not the only person in the family that's ever gone through this. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it makes such a difference if people can be open to it. Um, yeah. So hopefully it will, will be a lot different for my grandchildren. <laughs> I think so. I forgot something, Christine, and this will also help you hopefully as well. And this is something I've started talking about a little bit more on the podcast as well, is... Um, We've got, and actually, I think me and Dan spoke about it, or Dan and I rather. Um, it's it's that vulnerability. It's uh, being vulnerable in front of another person. And part of the conversation that my dad actually had with me is he admitted that he was going to therapy himself. And I think that was also part of the, you know, the reason that I wanted to start going myself. It was just a massive thing. My dad was like the, you know... If you'd said to me he was like an emotional guy or in touch with his emotions, like I wouldn't have believed you. But now, like, I mean, we sit and talk about like all sorts of stuff all the time now. But he kind of opened that door first, and that was a really interesting uh, thing. He, you know, he actually said like, "Well, I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm going to therapy, um, so that's why I'm suggesting it to you." Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that can be interesting. Um, I think we've probably got time for one more. I'm happy to stick around for another one or two. Anyone else? Yeah, of course you can, yeah. It's something I really struggle with. I really don't find it comfortable to... I can talk about stuff that's happened in the past. If something was happening for me now, I would find it extremely difficult to talk about because the, I've been kind of analysing this like in my own head. Like For a man, it's almost like a chink in your armour and for whatever reason you feel as though, I don't know, someone might exploit that or... You, it just feels like a real sore spot that you want to... For me, I'm a typical like avoider, and that's not going to be everyone. Um, but I, you know, I, if someone was to ask me if I was okay, I would purposely almost even go the other way because I would want to avoid that so much. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's uh, something that's going to take a lot of work and... I would love to figure out some way of helping people like draw out that vulnerability and feel like they're okay to talk about it. 
and the only way I know how is by talking about mine, basically. Yeah. Thank you. No worries. Um, any other questions? And then we'll close out. No? Well, I just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure being here. Um, you know, some of the questions from the audience were really good, so thank you for that. Um, and Sarah, it's just real pleasure hearing your story. Like, we've gotten to know each other a little bit. Like, I've met you once and spoken to you on the phone. And, um, yeah, hearing your story was touching, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much, Dan. No problem at all. So this has been Know Yourself uh, with Dan Udell and Sarah. Um, we're here at Redditch Town Hall with the audience and I want to say thank you very much for listening and peace out.